Hello, my name is Rob Edwards, and this is my ninth early late. This is podcast number nine. Another new podcast and another new story for you today. This one is called uh, The Lair of the Thunderlord, uh, and it is from Inkling Press's new Kindle anthology, Tales of Wonder, uh, available from Amazon wherever Amazons are sold. Tales of Wonder is a science fantasy anthology, so it's blending magic and science fiction and fantasy uh, all into a rather fascinating little ball. Uh, If you don't like my story, but of course you will, but if you don't like my story, there are eight others in the anthology to have a go at. Uh, We've got um, time-travelling Victorians, uh, steampunk spies... Rogue wizards trying to survive a dystopian future. Basically, we have something for everybody in Tales of Wonder, and I do encourage everybody to go and pick up a copy. Um, the link mybook.to/wonder will get you to it, or just go to Amazon and search for Tales of Wonder. Uh, after the story today, I will just tell you a few things uh, about how it came to be. Uh, but let's crack on, and here we go. Uh, with, well, I'll let myself introduce it. The Lair of the Thunderlord by Rob Edwards The acumen was dying. The pull of gravity had us, and we tumbled end over end, burning as we fell. The bridge was full of smoke. I could just make out the shapes of the crew battling to get us under control. Captain Arco had abandoned her chair, working instead under the navigator's console, attempting to restore any kind of power to the controls. Vasily gave a crow of triumph. There, Captain! Partial response from manoeuvring thrusters! Firing! In staccato bursts, our spin slowed. Still no response from the main drive! Impact in three minutes! Arco emerged from under the console, swearing. Hung, if you've still got no response from Tinica, go fetch her. We're going to have to cannonball this. We need her on the bridge. Hung didn't even look up from his engineering station. Captain, she was tending the coops when we were hit. That whole section. She's dead. Give her a little credit, Hung. Martins! My safety harness dug into me as I started in surprise. Me, Captain? Go with Hung. He might need the extra hands if Tinica is in trouble. I fumbled at the buckle. Right, yes, Captain, of course. Now, Martins, go get her. Hung didn't wait for me at the bridge hatch, and I had to hurry to catch up. As we left, I heard Captain Arco shouting at Vasily, Yes, we can shut down the life support. We need power to shields right now. I'd rather hold my breath and crash alive than still be breathing when we explode. I followed Hung down the corridor, hand over handing it along the wall. Gravity had been the blast's first victim. Not what you were expecting, eh? Hung was nervous. I could hear it in his voice. Didn't need the stress readings that my camera overlay projected to my eyeball. Can't blame him. I was a lot more than nervous. It was supposed to be quieter, yes. It wasn't much by way of banter, but we both needed the distraction. Quite a story, though, right? Could make top billing. He struggled at a hatch. It was warped and twisted shut. We weren't going that way. You got a famous relative you didn't tell me about, Hung? No way we make lead story unless your sister's in the movies. Off in the distance, the ship screamed in metal as another fragment tore free. My hands twitch. 
My palms were sweaty. I was going to die doing bad banter with a scout ship engineer that I hardly knew. Here, he shouted. The second hatch he tried opened a crack. Give me a hand with this. We braced and heaved. The hatch edged open. We looked out into the rushing night. This whole section of the ship was open, jagged edges of metal framing the sky, spinning around us. Only the ship's navigational shields, glowing faintly with heat, kept us from being blown out to our deaths. Damn, said Hung. This is the section where Tinnaker was. It's gone. Come on, we better get back. Wait, what's that? A glow of orange. I zoomed in. A glow of orange surrounding... Yes, a person. It's her. Hold on to something. I'm going out to her. Get ready to catch. Hung launched himself through the hatch, and with an expertise I could never have managed, he threaded through the wreckage, tapping here and there to compensate for the acumen's twisting. He braced a foot against the remains of an upright, planted a hand against the torn half of a deck plate, and stopped himself over Tinnaker. "'How is she?' I shouted. "'Alive, I think.' Another scream from the acumen, another piece of the superstructure tore loose. "'Hurry!' Hung didn't waste time with a response, just began pushing against the bubble of orange light, propelling Tinnaker towards me. The bubble was too cumbersome, couldn't twist through the wreckage as Hung had flying out. Instead, he bulled it through, scraps tearing, scattering. The bubble caught on the hatch edge. It was smooth as ice, I couldn't get any purchase to pull it in. Our suitcoms chimed. Captain Arco said, Get back to the bridge now! We almost have her. I have to move the shields. Get her inside. Now! The bubble floated through. Hung grinned triumphantly. Got her! Another fragment of the ship's hull scythed past, and Hung was gone. I didn't have time for shock. The acumen shields began to contract as Captain Arco fought to strengthen the bridge, making the shields stronger by covering less volume. It was called cannonballing, and was only used in the direst of circumstances. And if I didn't want to get left outside, I had to move. I put my back into it and heaved. Tinnaka and I shot through the hatch of the bridge moments later. Strap in! We're crashing any set! I awoke to pain and the smell of roast chicken. I opened my eyes and the world blurred and focused as my camera implant rebooted. The indistinct shape looming over me resolved into Tinnaka. She looked a little grey, but seemed to be alive. Or at any rate, if she wasn't, the crash had not gone well for me, either. "'Your eyes still freak me out,' she said. A single bark of laughter escaped me. My ribs hurt too much for more. "'All things considered,' I panted. "'That's a bit rich.' Why was I so exhausted? I tried to move, and my body responded slowly. I could feel my suit crack and flake as I moved. I looked down and saw I was covered in blood. Most of it dry, caking, stiffening my suit, worst around several jagged tears. Here and there I noticed a splatter of fresh blood atop the old. What happened? Am I okay? She held out a hand to help me up. You'll be fine. Just need to take it slow, and do your best to get some sleep tonight. But just make yourself useful. 
Captain's not happy that I wasted Lucy on you. She gave a pointed look at the roast chicken on the deck beside me. It looked like it had been cooked, then smashed with a hammer. I don't understand, I said. Never mind. Just try to keep on the captain's good side, if you can. Easier said than done, I said. Awkwardly, I stood. My whole body ached, but it seemed to be otherwise intact, which was more than can be said for the poor old acumen. The bridge was a mess. The lights were off. The console was dark and dead. It looked like some of the systems had been scavenged already. How long was I out? I asked, checking the chronometer in my camera. Thirty-six hours. Long enough, said Tinica. I wasn't able to get to you straight away. Sorry. Come on, Captain's waiting. The steel walls had buckled inwards and split open. I could see an amber sky through the tear. Tinica clambered up to one of the larger rents. I followed her. The acumen was a sad shadow of its former glory. All that was left of it was a twisted ball of metal some ten metres in diameter. The outer shell was still warm to the touch. Tinica guided me out, clearly taking a route well trod. She hopped down from the acumen shell into its impact crater. Small fires still burned around us, and the loose soil was blackened and scorched. I took two steps from the ship before the enormity hit me. I was walking on an alien planet. There, above me, broken and burning, alien plants, well, native plants, I was the alien here. They were charcoal grey, though that might have been the fires. From this distance the stems looked more fleshy than woody, like vast fungus stems. Above them, an amber alien sky with red-tinged clouds. I squinted and set my camera to record and analyse. I didn't get full spectrum like some of the newer models did, but there was still more than visible light to see. I knelt, ran my fingers through alien soil. I was on a freaking different planet. This was not supposed to happen, even with the best astronomers and diviners that UNSA had choosing the targets. Scout ships only found viable planets at an average of once every sixty-three jumps. My publisher had bargained with UNSA for a long time before I'd been allowed to board at all, and even then I'd only been permitted on a short haul, four jumps all told. The maths was easy. There was only a six percent chance of finding a planet we might actually want to visit while I was aboard. Even then, scout ships like the Acumen would just flag a potential and move on. The deep work would be done by a properly targeted follow-up mission. It was more efficient that way. I was never supposed to go groundside. And yet, here I was. Curious, I clambered up the crater to get a look over the lip. Martins! Arco's voice cut through my distraction. Get your damn fool head down! I ducked. She was right, of course. Something on this world had destroyed the acumen, and while we didn't know what, if it had been a hostile action, it was safer to assume that we were still in danger. Sorry, Captain. This is all a bit overwhelming. I... Shut up, Martins! The crew had been busy while I was unconscious. The lip of the crater was ringed with sensor nodes, and makeshift barricades of rock and fungus were stacked behind them. 
back down in the crater towards the acumen were two tents, salvaged equipment gathered between them. Captain Arco and Vasily were sat working at scavenged computers. I climbed back down towards them. Are we in danger, Captain? I tagged the question as important. It and its response would be flagged up when I came to edit the raw footage. Arco didn't answer, but Tinica took pity on me. We've not seen anything, not yet. But we're not sure how far from the blast source we've crashed. We could be half a world away. We've sent drones, but nothing obviously dangerous has pinged yet. Vasily snorted. It's not the obvious that's dangerous. If you have time for chat, you must have some results for me, Arco snapped. Uh, not much, Captain. We're feeling the loss of the Acumen Science Array. The equipment from the survival gear. It's designed for short-term necessities while we wait for rescue. The sensors I've got. I can't do much more than tell you the color of the rocks and the smell in the air. He slapped the side of his console, which beeped in protest. Air checks out. I don't think we want to be breathing it for weeks if we can help it. But if we get some pan when we get home, we can breathe it for a while. Oh, also, it smells a bit funny. Let's keep it professional, Mr. Meshkov. Sorry, Captain. Tinica, if science can't help us, I have to ask. I can try, Captain, but please remember, I'm not highly rated for Exo Arcana. Arco nodded, her granite expression softening momentarily. I understand it's difficult for you, but we're stuck here, and we need to know. Tinica squared her shoulders. Aye, Captain. She sat cross-legged on the scorched earth, detached her rank pin, and pricked her thumb with it, squeezing to let blood well up. She flicked her hand, the blood spotting on the ground. Slowly, Tinica rose into the air. Still cross-legged, she hovered a few inches off the ground. A spark of golden flame began circling erratically around her face, down to her shoulders, brightening, splitting, duplicating as it bounced. In moments, Tinica was surrounded by a spark shower of orange gold. I watched Agog. Magic was a rare talent, and the few times I'd seen it done before, it had been small-scale tricks and illusions. What Tinica was doing was on a different level. I'd known she was the ship's witch, but I hadn't really processed what that meant. I'd not seen her do any magic before this on the journey. Tinica frowned, and her shower of sparks erupted outwards. A single spark struck me on the chest, and I felt a sudden connection to her emotions. I felt her stress, her fear, her determination. Then I felt her dismiss me, severing that link as she focused elsewhere. Sparks struck the captain, Vasily, the carcass of the acumen. These two Tinica dismissed. But they also leapt to the ground, the fungus stems, the rocks. Most vanished over the lip of the crater. Those sparks skittered across the surfaces they struck, persisting in their dance. Tinica's expression tightened further. She began to shake, her balance slipped, and she awkwardly fell back to the ground. Arco jumped to her side, helping her up. I'm sorry, Captain, said Tinica. There's something in the magic here. It's, it's very strong. The strongest I've ever felt, but it's locked away somehow. 
I can sense you, vastly, everything we've brought with us. But the biofield here, I can't. It's like, I don't know, like I grab it, but it's the wrong shape. Damn, said Arca. Vasily, do we have any way of looking at the chirality of the protein chains here? I don't think so, Captain. We have survival gear, not a full laboratory. Chirality? I asked. She looked up sharply at that. She'd forgotten I was there. She opened her mouth to snap at me, but I think she saw something in my eye. She paused instead, gathered herself. In simple terms, some molecules can have the same chemical formula, but not the same... well, like Tinica described, not the same shape, mirror images of each other. On Earth, all naturally occurring amino acids are the same chirality, and that's also true on most planets we've discovered. But there are a few planets we've encountered where the natural order is flipped. My guess is this is one, but we've no way of testing it. So Tinica's magic doesn't work here? I asked. And don't eat anything either, added Vasily. Best case, it passes through your system without any nutritional value. Worst case could be a lot messier. Tinica was shaking her head, though. It's more than that, Captain. I mean, I think you're right, but I don't think that's all of it. Chirality would stop me getting a read on the local flora and fauna, but not the rocks, the air. The magic here is... claimed. Something has locked the magical field away behind a glass wall. I can see it, sense it, but I can't get at it. Well, damn, said Vasily, we're screwed. Arca reached out and squeezed Tinica's hand. It was the most genuine gesture I'd ever seen from our captain. The explanation hadn't made things any clearer for me, though. Will someone please tell me why this is so bad? Tinica and Vasily both looked to the captain. Captain Arco shook her head. Maybe tomorrow. She got up and went back to her console. Let's get back to work. Vasily, take camera boy on a sweep of the perimeter. We need a clearer idea of what's out there. Tinica, when you're ready, we need to start making the acumen safe. There's welding gear in Locker 4. Start on the smaller breaches for now. We can work on the bigger stuff together. Vasily and I walked the perimeter. He kept one eye on our route, the other on his mobile sensor. He held up a hand for pause whenever we encountered anything that looked dangerous, and we took no chances, giving anything we had even a hint of a doubt about a wide berth. We'll still likely get eaten, he said. But on the bright side, we're the wrong chirality for them, too. Hopefully we will be a meal they regret at least. For my part, I was too distracted by being on a freaking different planet. I set my camera to catch everything, as broad spectrum as I could manage, in as high a resolution as it would go. I'd need to switch storage packs in a couple of days rather than weeks, but I doubted I'd ever get this chance again. The human race had taken to the stars, but it would be a generation or more before tourism would even be a dream. This was the very definition of once in a lifetime. Honestly, I can't describe the feeling. I think of that best holiday in the most exotic place that you've ever been on. That time when you turned a corner and saw that thing, whatever it was, that stays with you for years after.
every other step I experienced that same sense of wonder, of new discovery, something impossibly strange. A fungus tree with long trailing limbs that flailed at us as we walked by. An insect the size of your thumb with iridescent bat wings. Colours that clashed, smells both vile and tantalising. And all of it, before that instant, unknown to humanity. This place is amazing, I said. You realise that a foot-long lizard with a poisonous stinger just climbed up your leg, yes? You make it hard to enjoy the experience, Vasily. He smirked. It could have. And there's nothing I could do if it did. You know I don't even have a weapon. I checked the survival gear. There were none. I checked twice. If we had any chance of getting home, I'd write to Unser about that. You're so sure we can't get home. Vasily stopped walking, checked his sensor, then clipped it to his belt. He looked at me for a long moment. You can turn that camera off. Yes, I lied. He stared at me some more, but eventually shrugged. You know Clark's third law? Uh, is that about equal and opposite reactions? No, definitely not. Clark was a science fiction writer in the twentieth century. British, like you. You've never heard of him. He famously said, Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Really, you've never heard this. Is that important? Vasily shook his head and muttered to himself in Russian. He was half right. We work on the flip side. Any magic can look sufficiently advanced technology. It's not as catchy. You know why warp drive technology is so closely guarded a secret? We wouldn't even show you where the drive room was. There is no warp drive. It's all Tinnaker. That is why we have a witch aboard. Warp drive, it is impossible. Breaks all the laws of nature and physics and... It is magic. It's why Arco risked Hung and you to rescue her. Well, one reason, anyway. In theory, while we have Tinnaker, we can get home. We just have to secure the remains of the acumen against hyperspace, and she can get us back. I blinked at him several times, but... Vasily, that's great news. We can get home. No, not any more. Why not? Vasily held up a hand. Did you hear that? No. Finish what you were saying about getting... But even I had to stop asking questions when six creatures emerged from the tree line. They were eight feet tall, and from the waist up, they were basically humanoid. A head, two arms, all in the places you'd expect, though covered in thickly scaled skin. From the waist down, they were... The stuff of nightmares. Six hairy, segmented insect legs, a carapace that looked to conceal wings, though how those aerodynamics worked I couldn't imagine. Their entire bodies seemed to be covered in a thin layer of mucus, giving them an overall appearance of slime-covered insect centaurs. I was so distracted by the creatures themselves, I almost missed the fact that they were armed. The danger overlay on my camera didn't, though. The tubes they were carrying were immediately highlighted in red, and my whole field of vision tinged red at the edges, all of which meant I got a half-second warning before they shot us. 
For the second time that day, I awoke up in pain. It was not a trend I was enjoying. This time, the ground beneath me was cold stone, and the shape resolving into focus above me was not our erstwhile space witch, but the slime-sticky face of one of the insectors. It opened its mandibles and chirped at me, but I had no response to give. It retreated a little way, allowing me to gauge my surroundings better. I was in a cell. There was no mistaking it. The floor, ceiling, and three of the walls were worked, carved, yellowish stone. The fourth wall was lined with stout wooden... fungus? Poles. Cell bars were universal, it seemed. Vasily was slumped in a corner, still unconscious, but breathing at least. If I had recovered, I had every faith he would too. My jailer chirruped again, gesturing for me to move backwards. When I did, he let himself out through a gate, closing it after him. The insector scurried away, its movement fascinating yet revolting to watch, a ripple of giant spider legs carrying it forward. I let it get around the corner, and out of sight, before I moved. I didn't know how much danger we were in, but it was probably safer to assume lots, so the priority was trying to find some way out. In truth, there wasn't much to explore. I keyed up the analytics of my camera and gave the walls a quick once-over. They were as solid as they looked, no anomalous heat signatures. I checked for airflow, looking for cracks, but there were none, no secret exit from the cell, but why would there be? I turned my attention to the cell bars. The fungus they were made from was more pliable than metal or wood. There was some play in them. When I pushed or pulled, they moved a little. But I couldn't shift the bars enough to make a difference. Their surface was tough and rubbery. I borrowed Vasily's rank pin and tried scratching at them, but it left no mark. They just bounced back after the pressure was relieved. I checked the gate, pushing gently in case our warden had forgotten to lock it. Unsurprisingly, it didn't budge. I couldn't see how it was secured. There was no lock or bar that I could see. But it wasn't moving. There was something around the gate's edge. It was painful to look at too closely. My camera refused to see anything there, but my meat eye could see a very faint glow. I wasn't sure what to make of that, and retreated away from it. Alone, and feeling helpless, I retreated to my work, pulling together a rough cut of my story, putting my thoughts to the pictures and decanting them into secure storage. I needed a proper editing suite to finish the job, but by the time Vasily came to, I had a workable first draft. He looked around the cell. Mm, not eaten yet. <laughs> How are you feeling? I asked and the camera fed me some basic diagnostic information. A bit of bruising and a mild concussion was its opinion. Vasily shrugged. Not eaten will do for now. Have you seen our captors? Just the one. It left just after I woke up. Look at this place, Vasily. This is a building. These things are intelligent, an actual intelligent exospecies. Isn't that amazing? Da, I am giddy with excitement, he said. But this is... It's a whole new species! Who have shot us, then imprisoned us. This is not a good introduction. I enjoy your enthusiasm, but I do not share it. Chin up, Vasily. 
I've been in worse situations than this. He gave me a long, long look. Yes, he said. You have, haven't you? I looked at your work when the captain warned us you'd be coming aboard. You have quite the history. Windhoek, Reykjavik, impressive stories, always in the centre of the action. I go where the story is. That's why they gave me the eye. Is it so? You're laughing at me. I have a peculiar sense of humour. He walked over to the gate and rattled it. It's locked, I told him. Some sort of energy field. I think it must be magic. My camera doesn't see it at all. Really? Vasily ran a hand around the edge of the gate. Close, but not touching. When I closed my camera eye, I could see pinpricks of sparks tickling his skin. Interesting. Come, you try. Does not hurt. Okay, I said, stepping up and reaching out. There was a painful spark as something discharged. The energy field shimmered, then vanished, and the gate swung open. What did you do? I asked him. Magic, he said. Good work, Martins. Don't just stand there. Let's find a way out. Wait, but I was too... I was talking to Vasily's back. We moved about the structure. At first I thought it was a castle, and us in the dungeon. But without windows, we couldn't get our bearings, and the only way off the level we found were ramps heading downwards. This level did seem to consist of cell blocks, but we didn't see any other prisoners, just occasional insector guards. We dodged around them, hiding when we couldn't avoid them, looking for a way up before deciding that we would have to go down after all. We waited across the hall from one of the ramps down, crouching behind a buttress while an insector flowed past. Again, I was struck by the oddness. Its movement was so fluid, yet made up of awkward joints, flexing and bending at strange angles. As it rounded the corner, Vasily and I ran towards the ramp entrance. Just as we were halfway across, the insector glanced over his shoulder. He must have seen us. Indeed, he seemed to pause, looking in our direction. But we'd made it to the ramp by then, and around the corner of the wall. I risked a quick peek back, and saw the insector shake his head, in a gesture that looked strangely human. Then he returned to his patrol. We're lucky they have poor peripheral vision, I whispered. We followed the ramp round and down, and it opened onto a new level, much like the one we'd just left, if with slightly higher ceilings. The walls were the same yellowish stone, and continued to be unadorned. Whatever the insector culture held, it didn't seem to include wall art of any kind. There were no cells here, but it wasn't a living area either, as far as I could tell. Storerooms and vaults, maybe. The rooms we passed with open doors were stuffed full of things, but I couldn't tell what most of the things were. This level was much busier. We saw insectors in groups, moving about the corridors or working the walls. They worked in small gangs, stroking the walls, leaving slimy trails on the hard surface as their mucus rubbed off. It took me a while to work out what they were doing, and that the walls were not stone at all. This whole place was built from the solidified slime from the insectors. I had an urgent need not to be touching the floor or walls, and not a great deal I could do about it. 
the increased traffic made getting about without being spotted much more difficult. It also seemed that the insectors on this level were a little brighter. When, inevitably, one of them caught a glimpse of us again, its behaviour was quite different from the one above. It signalled to its companions and walked towards us. We scrambled backwards, pushed our way through an open door, and dashed behind the stores inside. We kept still. I tried to calm my breathing at the same time as flagging this for the camera so I could find the footage again. The insector flowed up to the doorway, casting about, looking for us. It took a step past the door, then whipped its head around and swarmed through, prodding the supplies, searching for something out of place. Vasily picked up a hefty lump of something from the storage pile. Hefting it to use as an improvised club, I held his arm, shook my head. We wouldn't win in a fight, and if we attacked... Well, if there was anything like a trial, I didn't want to have started the fight. Vasily shook me off angrily, and tensed, ready to leap. The insector flowed towards us, but it was getting slower. Slower. It stopped, just outside of leaping range, gave one final look around before returning to the corridor again. Too close, I said. Vasily nodded, but looked a little disappointed. We will not be so lucky again, he said. It is only a matter of time. But we can't sit here, either. We pressed on, vastly carrying his club at the ready. The ramp down to the third level proved even more difficult. The corridors were crowded near them, insectors travelling up and down almost constantly. But just when I thought we were going to need to find another way out, a gap opened up, and we ran. This ramp was much longer than the last. It wound around and down three, four stories and kept going. We were fortunate that the walls were uneven and occasionally buttressed. We needed them as hiding places more than once. Despite Vasily's insistence that our luck would run out, we made it to the next level undetected. But one look at that next level, and we knew our escape was over. The entire level was one vast chamber, and it was awash with insectors, hundreds of them, all standing close enough that their legs interlocked like teeth on a zipper or cogs in some vast clockwork machine. The mass undulated, moving in unerring synchronicity, rising, falling. I thought at first that the centre of the chamber must be higher, but I realised that at the centre the insectors were layered up three or four deep, and still they moved like... like a giant duvet made of still-living spider legs. Far across the room, beyond the nightmare, four enormous windows looked out over the landscape. As I watched, a group of insectors flew in through the window. They merged seamlessly into the morass. As they did, an equal number detached from this side of the horror and flowed towards our ramp. Vasily, I hissed, but I wasn't sure what I expected from him. The shifting mass snapped its attention towards us, and as one, every single insector flexed its mandibles and chirruped. Thunder rolled around the room, echoing and reverberating through the rest of the castle, 
The sound was an assault. I had to cover my ears and fall to my knees. I felt the noise in every cell of my body. Even my bones jangled. My camera recorded it all. What is this thing? I said, but my voice was lost in the cacophony. The mass flowed to circle around us, and as the noise died away, Vasily and I were surrounded. None of them touched us, though. They left a clear circle of just over an arm's length around us. What are they doing? My voice sounded strangely quiet and dead after the thunder. They are watching, planning a recipe, I expect. Vasily's voice, too, seemed remote. The sound all but snatched away from my ears before I could hear it. Perhaps they want to talk, I said. Nervously, I got back to my feet, turning a slow circle, trying to gauge some point to talk to. The highest point of the mass in the middle, perhaps. We... My name is Simon Martins, I said. I am a reporter of the London Ledger. We were hoping we could ask you some questions. As I spoke, a strange light formed around the mass. The whole thing glowed, dimly at first, but brighter with each word. It could have meant anything, but I took it as a good sign. We crashed here, and sorry for that. But do you happen to know the source of the energy blast that disrupted our ship? I mean, we hadn't planned to land here at all, but we had no choice. The glow was bright now. I could barely see individual insectors any more. Vasily poked me in the shoulder. What are you doing? Don't annoy them! The light went out. For a moment, as my eyes adjusted again, it was like being in total darkness. And I knew the insectors were moving. I could hear the sticky susurration of their slime-covered limbs as they moved... Towards? Away? I couldn't tell. And then a voice, like Vasily's, but vast, deep, rattled from uncounted throats, seeming to come from all around us. Tell the Thunder Lord your purpose. We were only visiting your world, I said. We would be happy to leave again. If you can direct us back to our ship. Answer, the voice said. Can't hear me? Vasily, you try. What are you? Vasily shouted at them. The Thunder Lord. Tell the Thunder Lord your purpose. I could see more clearly again now. The mass had shifted, cutting us off from retreat, though still leaving a space around us. They moved, acted as one. Vasily, this is amazing. It's a hive mind shared by the entire colony. Is he right? Vasily asked. You all share a mind. No, the Thunderlord can be in many places. He is one as many, not many as one. Tell the Thunderlord your purpose. Vasily put one firm hand on my shoulder, the other in the small of my back. Our purpose, Thunderlord, is escape. He pushed, and I staggered forwards, tumbling towards the mass. I couldn't help myself, reached out to stop my fall, felt my fingers touch an insector leg. The shock was the same as when the cell door had opened for me, but much more painful. 
But it was worse for the Thunderlord, it seemed. The room exploded in sound again as the mass roared in pain. Don't stop! Vastly shouted into my ear. Run for the window! We ran. The Thunderlord parted for us, giving us, or I was beginning to suspect, me, a wide berth. It's working! I shouted back. They will remember their guns soon, Vastly shouted. Keep running! We made it to the window, but had to stop. My feet skidded to the edge, arms windling. There was a good half-mile of open air between us and the ground. The Thunderlord lived in the clouds. Vasily swore loud and long in Russian. It was a good effort, but I guess it's time to pay the price. For what? Magic. Magic always has a cost. Didn't they teach you anything when they put your eye in? I could see Vasily was right. The mass had stopped chasing us now. Instead, they formed a wall, surrounding us at a safe distance, and objects were being passed forwards. Objects that my eye was outlining in red. My eye is not magic, it's technology. I looked around desperately, looking for a way out. Not forwards, not up. Down might be the only way. Wait. A spark of orange. I zoomed in. We talked about this. Clark's law, da? Yes. Vasily, jump! I leapt out of the window. Vasily followed. The air behind and rapidly above him erupted with weapon fire. A deck plate of the acumen rose to meet us, Captain Arco and Tinnaker standing at the centre of it, the orange light of Tinnaker's magic lifting it to meet us. But behind us, the Thunderlord was swarming. He, they, would be on us soon. The deck plate rose. We fell. I landed with a thump, and a moment later vastly struck behind me. The fall should have cost us broken bones, at least, but that's magic, I guess. Glad you could drop in, Tinnica said through gritted teeth. It was a bad line, but in the circumstances I forgave her. Get us back to the acumen, Captain Arco croaked. I did a double-take. Arco did not look well. Pale, grey, notably thinner than when we'd seen her only a few hours before. It looked like standing was sapping her strength. Captain, are you okay? Here they come, Vasily shouted. Open the satchel, Martins, Arco rasped, pointing at a bag at her feet. Make yourself useful. Aye, Captain, I hurried to comply. The bag was full of random fragments taken from the wreckage of the acumen. Chaff, Tinnaker, Arco said. Aye, Captain. A burst of orange light from Tinnaker, and the scraps exploded from the satchel, spinning outwards, forming a wall of high-speed knives between us and our pursuers. It couldn't stop the weapon fire, but it kept the Thunderlord from getting close. Arco sagged, falling to her knees. Been pleasure serving, she rattled. No, Tinnaker from me, called Vasily. Tinnaker grimaced, nodded sharply. The deck plate dropped like a stone. We free fell, losing twenty feet of altitude before she cried out and caught us again. The captain seemed to breathe more easily, but she was unconscious now. Vasily staggered, and slow idiot that I am, I finally realized what was happening. Magic has a price, and what Tinnaker was doing had a very high cost. The captain had paid it first, and now Vasily was taking a turn. 
Hold on to something, Tinica said. I'm going to drop the chaff and try and pull away from them. But I'm not sure I can hold on to everyone when I do so. So hold on to each other. I curled fingers around a handhold on the plate and grabbed the captain, making myself useful. We accelerated across the alien sky, chased by thunder. We're coming up on the wreck, Tinica said. Her voice was steadier now, less to concentrate on, I guessed. I've bought us a little breathing room, but not much. Get everybody in the acumen as soon as we get down. I'll try and warp us. Moments later, we slid into a landing, slipping over the edge of the acumen's crater and down against the hull. The four of us stumbled free, helping each other through the one gap left in its carcass. Vasily, seal us, said Tinica, gesturing at a sheet of metal and the welding gear propped against the wall. I helped Tinica get Argo settled in her seat. What now, Tinica? Can you really get us home? She shook her head. No. Oh. If the coops had survived, if I hadn't used Lucy to get you on your feet, if the magic here hadn't been claimed or had been the right chirality, probably. But as it is, warp magic is the most expensive there is. Even with the multiplier built into the acumen's frame, it always costs a life. That's why we have chickens aboard. I blinked. You're kidding. Life sacrifice, that's barbaric. I tend to agree. But our world is dying, Simon. We must find the human race somewhere new. A few chickens' lives? Even thousands. It's a small price. But it's a price. There's a reason we don't tell people. Arco whispered. And we still won't. Not everybody is going to be happy with the way we're doing it. But we're doing it. Tinica put a hand on her shoulder. Rest, Captain. We'll get us home. There's not much of me left, Tinica. But if it can get you home, take it. Tinica shook her head. I can't do that, Captain. Take it. Ship's my responsibility. I'm sorry, Captain. I can't. There's not enough left. I... It wouldn't be enough. I stepped back. For a moment my world contracted. I could hear the rattling of the Thunderlord around the ship, could see Vasily working the ship's systems, getting navigation working. The acumen needed him, needed Tinica. It had no use for me. It never had. Then take me, I said. I can't do that either. The magic field your eye generates. It's not magic, I protested. Of course it is! Vasily snapped. You always find your story right. Always you go chaos, danger, something to see. That's the price, Martins. You didn't get that damn thing because you always find a story. You always find a story because of that damn eye. I? Captain didn't want you aboard. Knew something bad would happen. She was right. Your damn magic eye has killed us all. He slammed a fist against the console. Sorry. But that can't be. How else do you explain it? The cell door, the Thunderlord not hearing you, even its reaction when you touched it. Incompatible magic. Right. All this is my fault? 
not just this. My knees gave way, and I fell. I couldn't, but for years, all the hurt and pain I'd witnessed, all the strife and violence I'd reported on, not all of it was my fault. Much of it was long ingrained before I'd even arrived. But each price paid. The acumen shifted. I could hear insectors swarming over the wreck, the rattle of thunder all around us. Even now I couldn't help myself. I filed and edited my footage by habit. It was unconscious now. The story wrote itself. My hand touched a sharp fragment on the deck. My fault, Tinnaker. Get them home. I made myself useful, plunging the metal shard into my eye. So which came first, the chicken or the spaceship? The idea for this story essentially came from two or three drives, really. Uh, but the first one was wanting to have um, a magical explanation for faster-than-light travel, obviously, as it says in the story. Um, short of wormholes, travelling faster than light is against the laws of physics, and that's just what magic is. I also wanted to tell more of an adventure story. The last couple of uh, anthologies, Franklin's Press, that I've contributed to, they've been slightly more thoughtful pieces, he says, hopefully, uh, whereas I wanted to really write uh, an adventure story. and a Science fantasy for me, John Carter, um, the Dragon Riders of Pern, there's a lot of good action-adventure stuff. Uh, Star Wars, for that matter, uh, tied up with the science fantasy genre. And I hope that's where I got to with the Lair of the Thunderlord. So that's it for this edition of Storycast Rob. Uh, I always seem to end with promises for more podcasts, and uh, I do have a plan, which I mentioned last time, uh, which hopefully could result in me getting out podcasts on a fairly regular basis. Uh, but I've been studying Finnish recently, and I have to say, uh, it's taking a lot of my brain power to try and uh, get my head around the language. Uh, I am going to get there. I've got um, uh, one big story project, which I really think uh, could make a good uh, episodic uh, podcast. Uh, and if I can get that together, I might even be able to do a period of podcasts once a month. But I'm not promising that, not just yet. See how it goes. Anyway, uh, thank you as ever for listening, and I will catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye.